Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Radio check. Loud and clear. KSL Sports and KSL Podcast present Mode Push, an American view of F1, starting now. And stop. He's with you, cut. With his Honestly. I've guessed it. I've absolutely guessed it. I enjoy this so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's another edition of Mode Push, an American view of F1. Alex Curie, Dan Jimenez on the other side of the ether, also joining me here, uh, just fresh off the plane from Baku. So welcome back, Dan. Right. Oh, no, didn't make it out to Baku for this year's, huh? I Not mean, this year, no. I. It's always one of these confusing races to me because, you know, it, it's a street circuit, and I don't know how... Every year I get it confused with all the other races that come out of the Middle East sometimes. But here we are. Like, I'm, I I go and I go, oh, yeah, it's the one with the tower in it. It's one with, like, the 7th century tower the in castle. it. Castle, yeah. That's how you know what it is. And so uh, you have a double winner from the weekend, which is Sergio Perez winning not just the sprint race but also the main race. And it was a weekend where we had to wonder if we enjoyed a sprint race and a main race in the fashion that we got it, which was qualifying for the main race on Friday, qualifying for the sprint race on Saturday, right before the sprint race that was also Saturday, where we crowned uh, Sergio Perez the champion of the sprint race. And then the next day during the main race, that was not determined uh, by the finish of the sprint race as to how you started the main race. That was determined on Friday by the qualifying then. Got it all, Dan? <laughs> Is that all... Uh, I tried to help people understand. Think I'm following, it. yeah. <laughs> it was weird. I did see. I think I I retweeted. I don't know if you saw it, but it was one of those memes where somebody's like, you know, an alpha, a quote unquote alpha male's in a club yelling into a girl's ear, and somebody, <laughs> you know, and she is not wanting to hear anything from him, like as he's hitting on her. But it was like, so the sprint race is this weekend, and the, and the setup is like this, which is what we got a uh, a long weekend of a lot of racing. With mixed results, not just on the track, but also from fans who were wondering, is this really the best way? So from a viewing standpoint, before we get into the actual results, Dan, did you love 
how this thing went. Did you like the setup? Did you like uh, having the races set up like they did and not so many FP1s, 2s, and 3s? Uh, I l- enjoyed watching competitive racing on Saturday. That was fun. Like good way to start my day while I'm eating breakfast uh, sure. versus, you know, otherwise probably wouldn't be watching unless it was qualifying. But uh, I think that by the end of the weekend, I felt like the uh, wind had kind of been taken out of the sails of the main race because it ended up having the same finish as, uh, or at least the same winner and same pole uh, person on pole as the sprint race. So is that an indication of what all these are going to be in the future, that the sprint races are just a preview of what the main race is going to be? So I would hate if if that became the norm. And so then you just see the results on Saturday and you're like, well, now I know what's going to happen on Sunday, especially in if, you know, a, a race like Baku, which normally has a lot of chaos and red flags and we didn't really get it this time. So the, the, the outcome was kind of set after lap 20. So the vibe I got from you when we were kind of discussing pre-show a little bit was that you were kind of bummed how it uh, ended up in terms of a race uh, boring per your view. Yes, I think uh, it was one of the more boring races we've had in a while. And I've seen a lot of people online calling it boring, but the, the last lap was really exciting. And I think, <laughs> you know, through the the um, safety car that swapped the order, the running order was interesting but I think what caught everybody by surprise were two things that the hard tire held up so well and was able to go. I mean, freaking Ocon went 50 laps the entire race on one set of tires. Well, so did, uh, um, so did, uh, Hulkenberg, right? Hulkenberg, Hulkenberg had to be, yeah. he was basically told, Hey man, you got to pit obviously, but unless you want to get disqualified. And, uh, he did. And the Ocon incident, uh, actually led to our favorite, uh, thing on Sunday that was non race. Well, it was race related, but it was not the, uh, not what I don't know. I was watching it and I got caught up in the in the freak out moment that it was when Ocon was coming into the pit lane and we're watching it sort of play out on TV and we're also going, Oh boy, is somebody gonna have to hit the dump button on TV to make sure we don't see some sort of violent collision? But here's how it sounded. Take rabbits down the, the Red Bull mechanics are starting to come out of the pit wall. Maybe they didn't realize that Esteban Ocon still needs to pit. They gotta watch and out. Also, they're not allowed to go onto the pit wall. Well, I oh, think they are, they're just not allowed to climb the fence. Well, they're climbing the fence also well, they're not allowed window. to do I can that see then. them. Well, that, that uh, people sitting near the pit lane don't realize now that Esteban Ocon still has to, to make a pit stop. Or, well, and or, it is in the regulations, is, Ted, that you are not, not allowed to climb the, the fence on the pit it, wall. Stop it, all around this pit lane, some marshals. Is Ocon not going to make a pit stop or something? Well, he'd be disqualified if he doesn't. So he need, he will, I think, come in. Although he will, no, if he comes in. I don't in. think he can now because they put out no. the park Fermi barriers. Right. I mean, what, what it's going to be. Well, you can't. Well, the photo- he- there's photographers now, Ted. I know, you can see them. Yeah, oh, Ted, my goodness. He- now, Alpine are coming into the pit lane. They think they're going to make a pit stop. Well, Esteban Ocon is actually coming down the main there straight now. There are people now. all over the pit lane. Uh, so, is Esteban Ocon coming into the pits? I can't actually see uh, the entrance. Of the- Here he comes. Yes, he is. And there are oh, a lot what of is that's, this about? That's a shambles. This is a that shambles. A- Absolute <laughs> shambles. We could see it coming. Alpine could see it coming. What is going on down there? Well, that, that is a total and utter shambles of organisation, and somebody should have known. Either way, this man has stayed clear of any trouble. So that was the moment, uh, Dan, when oh my gosh, when uh, Ted Kravitz was like, "I'm going to, I'm going to be on the on the call here." When a disaster hits F1, which it did not, thankfully. What was awkward about it? Were you? I don't know if you were watching the same. I was watching that same broadcast. They had basically yeah. gone through maybe three minutes before when they were like, 
And a fitting tribute to uh, Ayrton Senna, the day to his death. Oh, my goodness. People are all over the all of pit wall. And I was like, yeah, this is the, not a good sign. The band sign. is on the field. Yes. Yeah. It was not a good look in terms of being able like, describing it in that sense of, you know, a weekend in F1 that was probably the worst ever when you had two deaths in two days at Imola in 1994, I guess it was, or 93. Either way, and then to have that happen, I can see absolutely why it was a disaster. Um, you know, this is... I think about it too. You know, you remember when fans used to just run onto the run onto the uh, the tarmac there, onto the racetrack, while people are going through their their you know their cooling laps. I think Silverstone has had to absolutely crack down big time on this stuff. But uh, nothing ended up happening from it. But I think certainly at the very least, people are going to be spoken to in harsh terms. I don't know if that's one that the FIA cracks down on the race course itself like they did with Melbourne where they were like, hey, you had fans jumping down onto the course, jumping through the fence here, you're going to get in trouble. I don't know who gets in trouble for this. It's the FIA getting themselves in trouble. Mm. Like literally the dude that was setting up the like roped off. um, They put a uh, rope barrier. barrier. That's good. The rope barrier Mm -hmm. up was an FIA official. Like literally the FIA Somebody running the pit park firm said, okay, we're clear. And FIA guy walks <laughs> out there. I'm going to put up this barrier. And so like afterwards they send out this notice saying, okay, the FIA has been called to the stewards. <laughs> it's like, Jeez. reminds me of that meme of like either Spider-Man pointing Don't at point himself at or yes. like the dude, like pointing at himself in the mirror, like giving himself a, a talking to it's, it's insane. I cannot believe that. Like, we are so lucky that we didn't have a tragedy yesterday because of all the places, of all the circuits for that to happen, Oof. Baku's probably the worst because it's the fastest pit entry. These guys are booking it when they get to the pit entry. Right. And of course, they're trying to save as much time as they can. And and it's it's really weird. They have this like little dog leg chic- mini chicane. Yeah, so he comes around lanes. the corner. Right. Yeah, so like so that keeps him from just like from from somebody like barreling in with no brakes, right? But it it makes the corner completely blind. So he comes around the corner still doing like 40 miles an hour, which is the pit lane and, speed limit, right? Yeah, pit lane speed limit. So he's still doing 40 and there's a big group of people in front of him and uh I mean, we are very lucky that nobody got hit and I you know, I guess a blessing in disguise is that they're absolutely going to have to crack down on this and make procedural changes. Like I just don't understand why F1 thinks that it's okay for people to be out on the pit lane while the race is going on in no other motorsport series, professional motorsport series. Does this happen? Like they are so liberal with who they let onto the pit lane. And then like you mentioned it fans onto the track and stuff that it's, I created this culture of like, I don't know, a way too, per, too much permissiveness, I think for the sake, you know, the sake of well, safety. This is, so this is two weeks yeah. or two races in a row, right? Where you go, Hey, uh, and and Melbourne's probably going. Boy, we weren't that much much of a mess, <laughs> you know. And uh, right. and they get in trouble for that. And FIA are the ones who, you know, screwed this one up. And so, but again, minutes before they're mentioning, uh, you know, the tragedy of of uh, of a death of two deaths on a weekend, you know, in an F one race in nineteen ninety four at Emila, including one of the 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 sports, you know, uh, most recognizable names. And you know, then you have this. Oh my goodness, look at him coming out of the corner. So that was like some weird, awful excitement at the end of the race. But I disagree with that it was a boring race and one of the more boring races that you saw in a long time. And here's why. I don't like when we have to break from the front of the pack for races to watch these battles at the end between uh, 11th and 12th or 10th and 11th, right? Like I get annoyed by those 
And partly it's because first and second and third are usually just kind of already determined. I think what is wild is now the the the, the safety car thing was totally okay. That's a that's a bummer. And everybody asked Max with that filter on of going, "Hey man, you got you got unlucky with that uh, with that you know with that safety car." And, and he kind of goes, "Yeah, we probably would have won that thing without it." But the reality was is Checo was better for forty laps than the world yeah. champion, than the guy that everybody says. And by the way, it was within a second and a half. It was within a second to a second and a half for thirty of those laps, and then it ended up kind of being even more at the end there when when uh, when they sort of said, "Hey, you know, Max, you don't have to. Let's not kill it here. We're we're uh, you're probably not going to catch up here." And he didn't. He did not close the gap. I thought this was the best win for Checo in his career. I think it was the best. Like, hey, on merit, you freaking race the heck out of this thing because. It was not like an. It was not like with eight laps left. This was the majority of the race. He held off Max Verstappen, who everybody just kind of gives the automatic win to most of the time. And I think that the way that they've described this Red Bull car and Max driving it has always been, well, he'll run anybody down, including his teammate, who is obviously inferior to him, but is pretty good on the street tracks. Like I hate that explanation. Well, Baku's a street track. And that's why Checo won. I know that he has that he's better at it at those tracks, but. I think that there was tons of credit to Checo. Uh, not that that's been taken away from him, but I do think that people sort of explained away with the safety car. Uh, it, you know, at that at the time of the race that it happened, he had forty plus laps to run down his teammate, and he did not freaking do it. And it wasn't because there was a hole in the side in the side pod like there was during the sprint race. Yeah, yeah, I am a hundred percent with you on Checo won that race on merit, even if the safety car thing hadn't played out like it did. And he started second or third on the restart. I still think Checo would have won that race. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, credit where credit is due. And I think this title fight is wide open between him and six uh, points, Max. man. I love it. I like, and I guess that's one positive to the sprint race was that that was a opportunity for him to gain another two points on the leader, you know? So if you do have somebody who's surging or maybe, uh, on a bit of a, of a role, you know, with some momentum, maybe these sprint races are good opportunities uh, for people to capture a few more points uh, than they normally would. So I, uh, yeah, I, I'm excited because I think that uh, it Sergio is going to make this very close uh, and a, a pretty exciting um, season all the way to the end. I, uh, it's really going to be a question of consistency and avoiding like the, you know, the big DNFs, right? Because uh, otherwise, those guys are fast enough to be on the podium just trading first and second every race. So, uh, yeah, I think Sergio uh, is definitely a title contender. I wish the race uh, – I think the other thing I was going to mention is that I wish the DRS zone had not been shortened. They shortened it by 100 meters this year. And what you ended up having was these DRS trains where everybody get like stacked up behind Nico Hulkenberg because his tires weren't really falling off like you think they would, but you know, he was staying just quick enough to be able to fend off anybody trying to make a move in that short DRS zone. If it had been like it was last year in previous years, I think people would have gotten around those slower uh, or those cars that had stayed out on tires a little bit longer and maybe we'd had seen a, a bit more passing. So I think, um, yeah, I, I, not my favorite race, but uh, I, I think Sergio just put, planted a, a flag in the ground and said, I'm seriously, you know, uh, a championship contender that that uh, everyone needs to look out for. Uh, I was looking at this. Uh, I was reading the actual report, by the way, at the uh, at the uh, Grand Prix by the FIA. So the stewards are like, okay, uh, 
the stewards, the race stewards, have uh, heard from FIA representatives and determined that the relevant representatives took steps uh, to set up park for a in the area. It was also permitted that media and personnel could gather in the start of the pit lane uh, while the last lap of the race was happening. They go through this whole explanation. Uh, do they get hit with a fine? Like, does the FIA get hit with, do they have to pay the teams? I mean, like, in the end. Yeah, find themselves, yeah. Dude, I mean, that is as bad of a situation. Could you imagine Alpine being put in a spot where they, if it did end up that uh, Ocon were to come around that corner and hit somebody? Uh, and even yeah. at 40 miles an hour with the setup of that car or how that works, like, that, that's a, that, that is a, a potentially fatal situation right there. And mm-hmm. and on top of it, and and then that's that's on the FIA. And but then the people who are like, oh, what happened? Well, that French team ran over that guy. Uh, and it's just, and when they say, yeah, well, it's you- not unusual for it. Well, they said the FIA representatives expressed regret at what happened and assured that it would not happen at the next event. And you're like, that's what my kid tells me when, <laughs> like, I send him to that room. Uh, regret was felt by the young man, and he said, uh, "quote I, uh, it was my brother's fault." You always blame me. Like that was it was so <laughs> stupid to watch this explanation that no one gave anything uh, of substance there. But uh, there you yeah, go. that was a non-apology. You're right. Like everybody would have remembered. Oh well, Ocon was the guy who you know yes. hit a photographer, and then and he'd have to. It was not their that. fault. Like of course they, they were playing by the rules. We have to pit, or else we'll get disqualified. And there are fans out there saying, like, should they have penalized Alpine for waiting to the last lap? No, like that's absolutely within the rule book. Yeah, that. They can do that. And they were playing a strategy of waiting for a red flag. And when one didn't come, then they had to pit. So I just, the, there's only one answer here. And the answer is nobody can go out onto the pit lane until the last car on the lead lap has crossed the start finish line. That's when the race is actually over and cars aren't flying around at, at full speed and no one's going to be surprising right. you down the pit road. Like that's what, the what only solution. What do they need a picture yeah. of at that point anyway? Like, yeah. and it doesn't yeah, matter. Exactly. Yeah, it's wild. It's crazy. Every other motorsport league has figured this out. I don't. What, I don't understand why F one can't figure it out. What does NASCAR do? I mean, obviously, it's different because you oh, have an oval oh, that is down. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, I wouldn't imagine that they're like, dude. Th- these are aside from the fact that these are cars that are on TV. It looks like they're going slow. They are not. And on top of it, we just do not have. We don't want anybody next to any of this machinery next to any of this fuel, next to any of these people who are actually trying to get their jobs done while you're walking around with a vest on that says media on it. You know, like that is right. not, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's not what needs to happen. So whatever. Checo Perez gets, uh, it's kind of interesting because the guy has five wins and uh, he's the first person ever to duplicate a win at Baku. So he is the only two-time winner on the street circuit there at Azerbaijan. And so uh, that's with a lot of people who are pretty darn good in this sport who've won there at Baku, including uh, Lewis Hamilton and even Max Verstappen. So uh, pretty good pretty good weekend for Checo. And I don't think that that guy in any way – I mean, what you saw I love this weekend from Red Bull was this. These guys are freaking racing. And you know what you didn't hear? Now, Christian Horner, he has to be like the the, the nice guy on all this. And he probably has to appease his superstar a little bit more, but he can't seem like that he is. He's being very diplomatic. I just want to know how they're going to handle this thing when it ends up uh, a one-two in the same fashion. Because over the next few weeks, how many of the next ones are uh, street races? Miami is sort of one. Uh, I know Canada is one. Uh, Spain is not one. But, I mean, these are there are a lot of races still set up for Checo to maybe take the lead here in the next few weeks, even though it is a 23-race season. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I think like, yeah, he's king of the streets, but I don't think he's going to be slow when we get to Spain or Monza. Like, I think that uh, he it's it's a 50 50 toss up for me uh, going here on um, the rest of the season on who's going to win, you know, more races, him or Max. And uh, I think that uh, it was interesting seeing Max get called into pit. I, I thought like, okay, is this a team order thing? Or were they afraid that if there was um, a full course yellow that or a safety car that they would have to double stack and then that would slow Sergio down. I don't know what they were thinking. And it sounds like Max post race too was like, we need to have an investigation into why that decision was made. <laughs> Cause it was very strange that they right. had Max come in uh, because the other teams were able to double stack them. Um, but those two might've been too close. So uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a full on fight and it's going to be very interesting. And, and Christian Horner's job is going to get really hard if it's like, race 22 and 23 and these guys are tied talk to me about uh your guy from ferrari charles leclerc who rounded out the uh podium and had quite a weekend considering the fact that this is not even i think a lot of people look and say that's not even the second fastest car but uh that is definitely one of the best racers in the world if he's able to uh out pip uh you know alonzo uh, fernando alonzo who's racing out of his mind and Aston Martin, who's got a really, really quick car. And then Mercedes, who seemed to have been coming up a little bit uh, but couldn't uh, put anything together for this weekend. What are Ferrari's chances now of kind of turning a little bit of a corner? It did sound like Charles was like, yeah, but we are not very close at all <laughs> still. Yeah, I, I think they had a great weekend. I mean, Charles is freaking fast for one lap. I mean, he might be the fastest driver uh, for one lap. His car does not hold up well under 40 laps, you know, uh, and and keeping his tires. But I think that Ferrari can definitely start to take the fight to Aston Martin and move up there and fourth in the constructor standings. I think they're behind Mercedes, but, uh, I think they're, they're in it. Um, they're only 14 points behind Mercedes and then another like 11 points behind Aston. So, uh, I think second is still totally in the cards for them, but I think Charles is right the gap from those three to Red Bull is, is crazy, right? Just the, how many seconds behind Charles finished 21 seconds behind, uh, Max, who was two seconds behind Sergio. I mean, that's 24 seconds behind Sergio. So that's like half a second, a lap, uh, that he was slower than, than the Red Bulls. That's, that's pretty significant. It's not, it's not close. Well, uh, the rest of the field, uh, any surprises from this weekend? Who who did surprise you in terms of a team or uh, a race, or did we just kind of get kind of a a uh, a rubber stamp finish of kind of what we're what we were expecting out of these teams? Uh, I think McLaren showed more speed than they have all season, and they got some points uh, with Lando in ninth and Piastri just outside of the points in eleventh. So I think this was definitely their best race. They I think had the longest list of upgrades of any team. Uh, uh, this last weekend of who brought new upgrades to, to the race. And I think that those really played out well, they might be specific to Baku and being a, a low drag circuit, um, or a low downforce circuit. Right. So we'll see if that carries over into Miami. But, uh, I think that that was a positive move for them. They're like them and Alpine. They're within like four points of each other in the constructors. I mean, Alpine surprised to the downside. They had a terrible weekend. Like I don't can't remember how many times Pierre Gasly's car like caught on fire or like was wrecked. <laughs> it was it was really bad. Yeah. So um, I think Alpine is just not good. And uh, Yuki Tsunoda, another point. You know he's he's out race. I think he's getting more out of that car that's actually in there. And Nick DeVries is not good. 
Ooh, boy. <laughs> he's not having a good season. I think he's he's the uh, worst of of the drivers of the rookies at least. It's it's been a surprise that uh, Logan Sargent has been. I mean that you know Williams didn't have a uh, a fantastic car this weekend, but you know he both he and Alex Albon kind of uh, hung in there, and then the fact that he can stay kind of close to. To Albon is is quite interesting. I think he's kind of finding himself. That is a really hard course to be like, hey man, uh, welcome to your rookie season. Here's Baku. Like, try to keep it out of the wall, and that's hard for the for the vets. I mean, so you know, it, it, I, I guess you know, for people who are kind of waiting for that American driver to get his breakout, hasn't really happened yet. But you know, I think he's doing as well as you could do in that car for a rookie, and uh, kind of trying to stick a little bit with his teammate. I thought he had a decent weekend. Yeah, I think he has yet to put a whole weekend together, mm-hmm. but I think he's shown those flashes of greatness. Like he's fast, like he he can drive that car to its limit. And uh, but like, he just kind of something happens; it gets in his way. Like there was Saudi Arabia, he like clipped the uh, the out of bounds line, and he would have made it into Q two, but his time was turned, you know, disqualified. He he got into Q two of um, I, I guess the the of the main race. And then wrecked right uh, in, at the end of Q3. So he, no, that was the sprint race. He got into Q2 right. of the sprint race, but then he couldn't even race in the sprint race because he had just wrecked his car. Sure. So he's fast. He just needs more consistency and maybe a stroke of luck. And I bet he could finish in the points. Uh, the quietest uh, fifth place ever by Carlos Sainz as well, who had a decent weekend, but you just didn't see anything out of him. Seemed like on restarts and at the front of the race, he got kind of passed up and. Fernando Alonso with a disappointing fourth place because we were so used to seeing him on uh, on podium, but he's uh, he's maintaining that that uh, third place in the in the uh, individual results there, and then still keeping uh, Aston Martin in that second place. Lance Stroll, I think people are like, for as much as we kind of cheered him on at the beginning, he had enough he had enough mistakes this weekend. You tell me, Dan, there were enough mistakes this weekend that you went. Yeah, he still gets this reputation of not be, of always being the second guy. You would be behind Fernando Alonso, but also it seems like Lance Stroll just makes a couple of extra mistakes that others wouldn't necessarily. Yeah, he needs to pick it up. I mean, it's not like he's going to lose his job, but uh, <laughs> I, I think the average F1 driver uh, this year would be getting more out of the car than he is. Uh, and I agree. He should be, he should be pushing it to, I mean, where is he in the driver standings? He's oh, let me see here. eighth. He's eighth. Yeah. So, I mean, if Aston is really a number two team, uh, which I still think they are, like he should be pushing into sixth, fifth, fourth on right. points. Well, his teammates in second. And so you just kind of go, you should be within one, maybe two places there. Uh, if we're talking about the same car on equal footing and you're not, Hey, my MVPs from the weekend. And my uh, anti-MVP, here's my MVP, Yuki Tsunoda, in the points for the second week in a row. Good job, Yuki. That's a guy who's improved a ton. We talked about it a little bit, I think, uh, earlier this week. And a couple, I know it's two tenth places in a row, but it's a guy who is in a car that is about that that good, you know? And you you finish right behind uh, Lando Norris and... Uh, you know, uh, single-digit seconds behind George Russell, who is my anti-MVP of the weekend. George had a crap weekend. I mean, <laughs> aside from the part where he's arguing with Max on, uh, you know, at the end of the sprint race, and uh, that doesn't look good, and both parties looked kind of stupid on that whole thing. But George did not have a good weekend, and I know that he blames himself a lot for it too, but I think he's a guy who, like, you got to be a little bit above reproach with this stuff and not – got to take all the responsibility here – and uh, George having a bad weekend in eighth place in the main race. Yeah, that was uh, not a great weekend for him. The whole Max uh, 
issue on the start of the sprint race. I I'm with you. I think neither party looks great coming out of it. Uh, I think George didn't realize how hard he actually had hit him uh, in the moment, but then also if you're max, like you were, that was a very risky move for him to, to not back out of it in that corner. And uh, again, like I think max, you're the championship leader. Like you got to stay above it. Um, it, it's, it came across as a little whiny to me from Max's, uh, Oh, really? You know, angle. Because yeah. Max has never been that type. I think he's <laughs> always kept his nose clean and very quiet on those types of issues. Uh, speaking yeah. of whining, since we're on the subject, uh, Toto Wolf this weekend, my favorite headline from the weekend. Did you see this? Toto Wolf tells Formula One officials, you need to act to prevent such a quote, boring race like, like the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Azerbaijan Grand Prix. This is a guy who gave us seven straight years, Dan, of boring freaking one twos. Am I wrong? Am I am I no, over yeah. characteristic? Uh, you know, am I throwing him? I don't know because it, is it that much worse now? Is Red Bull that much more dominant than let's say that Mercedes was in that 2018, 2019 type of stretch where it was Valtteri or Lewis, and most of the time Lewis every weekend. No, no, it was it was just as uh, Mercedes was just as dominant back then as Red Bull is right now. So Toto has like no leg to stand on in this argument. <laughs> uh, so it's it's hilarious that he's the one fighting for it. And I think if, as the quote goes on, he talks about like you know more long term solutions. What do we do with with? I think he's pushing. Toto always does this. He's always trying to work through the media gain momentum on regulation changes rather than just like hampering or handicapping uh-huh. Red Bull, like let's make a regulation change that might mix things up. And I think the thing with the regulation change is that last year we made these changes to have these cars be able to race closer and follow better and pass more. But then with like the ground effect cars and being able to, you know, create downforce without crane, creating a bunch of like arrow wash off the back of the car. Anyways. So then we get into last year and the porpoising thing becomes an issue and Mercedes can't figure it out. So he, lobbies to get porpo- the 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 regulation change to l- heighten the cars so that the porpoising goes away but now we're back to where we started right. where cars can't pass each other they're, they they can't follow very closely because all the downforce goes away because the cars higher in the air so it's like we've just kind of done this 360 back to where we started and i i think that the regulation changes uh, I, I will be surprised if we get to 2026 without another significant change in the regulations. I know that's the year that comes with a lot of changes to the power units and the fuel type and all that. But I could see 2026 being another year like 2022 was right. where we, we changed the car. If I were king of the world, we I would shorten the wheelbase. I'd make these cars shorter. I'd make them less wide and I'd take air downforce away. <laughs> and I think that would solve a lot of stuff. Uh, but uh, that's not my job. <laughs> It is not your job, Dan. How dare you? My heavens. Uh, of course, here is, here's what we're waiting for in the next couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. I know this is where you're going to be, is in the club where the heat is on in Miami, Dan. So very excited about it. I'll be sunbathing out there on the state marina. <laughs> uh, I forgot Rosario Dawson is uh, heavily heavily featured in this uh, in this Will Smith video. So uh, well done by uh, nice. by Will Smith. Uh, we're headed to Miami next. What's the schedule look like uh, for the GP that is a semi street race where boats are glued to the floor? That's right. Uh, yeah, we're back to racing around in a parking lot outside the Hard Rock Stadium. <laughs> I didn't love the Miami GP last year. I felt like it was pretty dry. It was the it was the week that uh, Max I think won that race and 
um, was like starting to gain momentum, put distance on Charles. Sure. So, uh, uh, it's a pretty, it's a high, it's kind of a mix, but it's, it's got some high speed sections and a really long straight similar to Baku. So I am looking for Sergio to come back, take pole and, and win this race and, you know, strip the lead from Max. Right. That's my, my prediction is how this goes down. Ooh, let's hope so. Uh, but it's a quick turnaround. It's a, and it's a, I think we're going back to the normal format. I don't think we're doing a sprint this weekend. So we, we won't know really whose race pace is what until Sunday. Uh, so for all you complainers out there, you can go back to it, but yeah, quick turnaround to go from Azerbaijan to, from Baku to, uh, Miami here. And that's where, uh, where we're going to be. Uh, let me see here. Yeah, that's about it. Dan, do you have anything else you want to bring up for this one? Otherwise we'll, uh, we'll let everybody go and they'll enjoy the rest of their day and get ready for the Miami, the Miami Grand Prix, uh, coming up yeah. this weekend. Yeah. Let's, uh, yeah, I'm excited for it. Uh, for Dan, um, Alex, thanks for being with us as we uh, get you ready for this one and we get you ready for the uh, two weeks after that, the heading off to Italy as well for the Emilia uh, Romagna Grand Prix as well. So for Dan, I'm Alex. Thanks for being with us, everybody. It is Mode Push. Tell your friends, teach a neighbor about F1. You can uh, always subscribe, download the podcast. You can also comment and uh, give us a like and a subscribe. We'd love it. Uh, We'll talk to you next week, everybody. Actually, we'll give you a race preview later this week. Stay with us. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.